we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Daybreak. And all this month of January, we're talking about this idea that God has crafted each and every one of us uniquely. And each of the weeks of the series, we've been taking a, a different angle of that, a different approach to what are the ways that God's crafted us, how can we discover what that looks like, and then how can we live that out uh, in our life. Um, I uh, have grown up uh, hearing this phrase uh, that, that uh, probably many of you have heard some form of this as well, uh, that says something along the lines of, you can be anything you put your mind to. Right? How many of us have, have heard something to that effect, that phrase before, right? You can, put any, any, you can do anything you put your mind to, which is, uh, is, is a nice saying, and there's, it, there's certainly some good that, that can come from that, but it's really at its core is not, not necessarily all that accurate, right? It's not, like if there's one thing that we've learned from reality TV, right, it's that, that no matter how much you put your mind to it, like singing is just not a gift for some people, right? Uh, fashion designing is not, is not necessarily uh, a gift for some people. Uh, being a comedian is not really a gift for some people. I will never, ever be a shampoo model. Like, it's just not something that I've crafted to do, right? Like, Troy Polamalu is not threatened by me with his head and shoulders commercials. Like, it's just not a, not a gift that I possess that, that God's going to use. No matter how much I put my mind to it, it's never going to happen. And so there's this, this idea that and there's, some, there's good reasons why we, why we teach that or why we kind of uh, promote that phrase. Uh, but in Scripture, we see that something different. We see that while, while we can't do whatever we put our mind to, we were all created to do something. God did create us all to do something, to be someone specific and unique, someone who lives life to the fullest, who uh, d- it lives the way that God designed us to live with the personality and the abilities uh, and the passions that God crafted into us uniquely. And so that's what we're trying to discover in this series, is what, what are some of those things? What, what, what does that look like in us? What's the unique imprint that God has made on me? What's the unique imprint that God has made on you? And then how does he want us to act, to, li- to live that out in our lives? How does, what difference does he want us to make in the world? Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I was a huge baseball fan. Just absolutely huge. It was, it was like the thing in my life. And uh, I still enjoy it, but it's taken a little bit different spot in my life now. Uh, but it was something that I would think about all the time. I would, I would eat, sleep, drink baseball. I would watch baseball. I would play as much as I could. Little League, wiffle ball. Uh, you go to a tennis court, you didn't play tennis, you played baseball with a tennis ball. Like all these different, like baseball was just my, my, my life. And, and I uh, particularly grown, grew fond of one particular baseball star. We have a picture of this, this person here. I don't know how many of you, who knows who this is? Mark McGuire, right? Yes, Mark McGuire. Uh, we're not going to get into the steroid stuff today. Uh, it's another story for another time. But this was a guy that I was passionate about. I was passionate about baseball as a whole. I was passionate about him. And I actually, to this day, somewhere in my house, still have over, like hundreds of baseball cards of his. I have autographed photos. I have newspaper articles, magazine articles from when he broke the home run record, all this, all this kind of stuff. I, so I had this passion in my life for baseball. And I, and I, and I bet that Every single one of us could identify things in life like that that we're passionate about. And some of them are uh, good things. Some of them are, are maybe just indifferent things. Some, some maybe are a little bit unhealthy, like peanut butter cups is one of my passions, as an example. Uh, and I don't know what they are for you, but we all have them, right? Like we all have these things in our life uh, that we're passionate about, that, these passions that we have. And so today what we're going to be talking about is... What are some of these passions? How do we discover some of the healthy and God-honoring passions 
that we have. As God's image bearers, as people that God created in his image, we have passions that God wants to shape and deform and to use us then for his glory, to bring him honor so that he's reflected in our lives. So how do we discover that? Uh, what, are the, what does that look like? That's what we're going to be talking about today. So I'd like to just take a minute and pray before we, we dive in. So would you bow your head with me? God, I thank you that you are a passionate God, and I thank you that you've crafted each one of us uniquely uh, with, with passions and gifts, and that you invite us uh, to use those um, to follow you. And uh, I pray, God, for every person in this room, all of us come today with with a different story on a different journey. And this concept, this idea may be totally new to us or, or it may be something that we've heard a hundred times before. But I pray today that God that you would speak to us, that you would, that you would challenge us in a new way uh, about what it means to be somebody that follows you. Uh, we praise you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so go ahead and grab your outline if you haven't done so yet. That will uh, definitely help you follow along today. The first point there in your outline is this. I discover how I'm uniquely needed. I discover how I'm uniquely needed as, number one, God stirs my heart to align with His. God stirs my heart to align with His. In the Old Testament, uh, which is the part of the Bible, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar, it's the part of the Bible that, that takes place before Jesus comes to, to in in the flesh, before the Christmas story. Uh, and in the, in the Old Testament, uh, there were a group of people uh, who were called the prophets. They were called prophets. And uh, who, can, can anybody tell me what the role of a prophet was? Anybody know? There's going to be multiple opportunities for participation today. So. Okay, there's two, one here. To speak the word of God. What was the other? The telling the future. Yeah, so th- that, that's great because there's... In a general sense, the, the, the role of a prophet uh, was to, and, is, and is today, to speak the truth of God. That that's something that, in, in general, is to, to reveal God's truth, to speak it to others. And then biblical prophets, as well, had, had this, um, this thing where they were also revealing what, what was going to take place, or, or look, taking a look uh, at the future. And typically, these biblical prophets were not people that were well-liked. They, were, they did not have a lot of fans. They were not, they were not people that people... Uh, appreciated because they were often offended by the words that they would say. Because basically these people, these prophets would walk around and, and God would, would empower them to tell people, hey, God wants you to change. God doesn't like this thing that's going on. He doesn't like what's, what's happening and he wants you to change. And so naturally, nobody really likes to be told that, they're, that they need to change. And so prophets were not very popular. One of the, the major prophets that we find in Scripture, his name is Jeremiah, and we're going to read uh, very briefly from, from him today, just catch a snapshot of him. Uh, we're going to look at a, just a few verses at the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, uh, beginning in chapter 1. If you want to follow along in your Bible, it's also there in your outline. It says this, beginning in verse 3. The Lord's messages to Jeremiah continued throughout the reign of King Jehoiakim, Josiah's son, until the eleventh year of the reign of King Zedekiah, another of Josiah's sons. In August of that 11th year, the people of Jerusalem were taken away as captives. So uh, basically what these verses do is they set up, they, they put a historical backdrop on the time when Jeremiah came on the scene. And he was coming in, onto the scene in a very 
difficult time in the people in the nation of Israel. Very difficult time for these people. It actually ended up being uh, during their final days as they sort of crumbled as a nation and God allowed them to, to, to go into captivity. So in the midst of that environment, Jeremiah is called to be a prophet. That's where he's called to come and speak the truth uh, to, to these people. So continuing, he says, The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. So God says to Jeremiah, he says, I have chosen you for this moment. This particular time, this particular place, in this particular way, I have chosen you to be my prophet. I've created you and designed you to do exactly what it is that I'm calling you to do. And that role is to be my prophet, to speak my truth to these people in, in this difficult time, in the midst of this, this struggle they were going through. And that's exactly what Jeremiah ends up doing. If you read through his book, you find him running the gamut of emotions as he did what God had shaped him to do. God stirred his heart. He, uh, he pleads for people to return to God. He, he tells them that God longs for them to return from these idols that they had, been, uh, that they had fallen in love with. And he cries out to God as his... As, uh, his people are taken into captivity. That was the piece of the puzzle that God called Jeremiah to play, and he knew that this was part of what Jeremiah was going to be doing uh, before uh, he was uh, he set him apart uh, before he was in his mother's womb. That was the piece of the puzzle that God called Jeremiah to play. Now, in the context of passion, in the context of this whole series about us, each of us being unique, it's important that we recognize not everybody's has the same calling as Jeremiah. Not all of us are called to be prophets. That was his unique calling based on the way that God shaped him, God planned him, and, and commanded him to do. That was what he was created to do. But what I, what I do believe is that we can, what we can see in Jeremiah, as well as a number of other people in the Bible, is that God wants to stir our hearts in ways that lead us to be who it is that he created us to be. He wants to stir our hearts in ways that lead us to be who who it is that he created us each uniquely to be. He wants to develop our passions to align with his heart and then give us the opportunity to reflect his image, to love him and to love others uh, the way he created us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, uh, which is there in your outline, the Apostle Paul talks about the fact that, that salvation, uh, because of the salvation experience, it leads us in this direction. He says this. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. So when you trusted Jesus to be your forgiver and your leader, God saved you. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So he's saying, it's because of God's grace. It's not because of how great we are or because of all the good things we, we've done or because we're better than this person or that person. It's because of God's grace that he saved us. So we can't brag about ourselves. We can only brag about who God is. And then it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I want to uh, ask you to underline the words, do the good things to do the good things he planned for us long ago. So Paul says to these followers of Jesus, the Ephesians, he says, look, God saved you, God saved us through Jesus. Not because of how great we are, but because of how great God is, because of how full of grace and love God is. But he didn't just save us so that we could say that we're saved. The story doesn't end there. That wasn't the purpose of it. He saved us so that we can do the good things he created us to do. 
He created us anew in Christ Jesus because of, who he, because of who He is so that we can be who we were created to be. So that we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago. So coming to Jesus, accepting His sacrifice on the cross as forgiveness of our sins and asking Him to lead us, it frees us to get back to the task at hand, to do what God originally created us to do, to do those good things, to reflect his image in our own unique way to the rest of creation. Now, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like God was stirring something in your heart? Have you ever experienced something in your life where you just felt this sense that, that, that God was, was, was stirring stirring some passion in your life about something. And I don't, what I want to do is I don't want to go in the details of, of what uh, the, exact, the exact thing was that God was stirring your passion for, but if you're here today and you had to explain, let's say somebody's here today and they're like, I'm not sure if God's ever stirred my passion, my, stirred my heart for something. If you feel like God has stirred your heart, what are some of the, what's that experience like? What are the, some of the things you feel and experience those times when you, felt, you feel like God has stirred your heart for something? I want to write some of these down. Say it again. Excitement. Uncomfortable. Uncertainty. Passion. Love. Surprise. What else? What else did, did you feel? Reluctance. Oh, oh, meaning. Conflicted. Those letters are right. right? <laughs> Anyone else? Vulnerable? Okay. All right, we'll stop there. And I'm sure we could come up with a dozen more. These are great. Yeah, so, so a lot of these are, are things that we've experienced, that some of you have experienced when God stirred your heart to do something. Now let me ask you this question, which is extremely important. How do I know, how do we know if, the, if what, we're, what we're sensing or what we're, we're experiencing, how do we know if it's from God? How do we know if, if it's not just from, from us or not just like a cultural value? How do we know this, that it's something that's from God? Aligns with Scripture, absolutely, right? Scripture is our measuring rod, right? As, as, as Christians, we believe that, that we, we, we should take that to the Bible, compare it with Scripture, and if what we think God's calling us to do doesn't align with what we see in His Word, then we know that we're being deceived, right? We know that that's not, that, 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 that uh, stirring is not actually from God. Any other ways? Yeah, absolutely, right? If there's other people in our lives that we trust, we say, hey, this is, this is somebody that, 
that I trust that's following Jesus, that I've, I've seen him uh, work, in, work in their lives, we, would, we might go to that person and say, hey, God, I feel like God's stirring some, this passion in me. God's stirring something in me. What do you think? Right? Do you think that, that's, that that might be for him? Absolutely. Because it's possible to get really, really passionate about things. It's possible to get really, really passionate about things that don't align with God's heart. Right? There, that happens all the time. There are a lot of things that, that a lot of people get really passionate about that don't align necessarily with God's heart. And so as we begin to sense some of this, and as we begin to start to, to feel like God might be stirring some of these things in us, some of these passions, it's important that we ask ourselves and those that we trust and, and that we look at Scripture and say, is this from God? Is this something that God is stirring within me? And if the answer to that question then is yes, if, the, if, these, if these stirrings or these passions pass that test, uh, or as Paul said to the Ephesians, if we can confirm that these are some of the good things that maybe God is calling us to do, then what I, what I found is that those, those um, passions tend to fall in, in one of two categories. And sometimes these categories overlap. Maybe you want to uh, write, write these down on your, your paper there. But the first one is, uh, one category is that sometimes these passions reveal God's image. They reveal God's image. And, and when I say that, what I mean is that it, they... they um, they add, a, they add a God-reflecting beauty to the world. They, they bless people. They bring blessing in such a way that God becomes honored or they point back to him or, or people are able to catch a glimpse of God because of this, this, uh, this passion that God has given me. And so it could be something like uh, art of some kind, writing, music, photography, uh, those types of things that, that God might, be, might stir that passion in you to be able to use that to, to point people to him, or it might be words of encouragement or, or truth that you, you speak a blessing over someone, add value to them in such a way that they, they become more aware of who God is and who God created them to be, or just being generous with somebody with the resources that you, that you have. Those are all, uh, and there's lots of other examples of ways that, that uh, we can reveal God's image through these passions that he's, that he's given us. The other side, with, uh, in addition to revealing God's image, the other side is restoring God's image. Restoring God's image is sort of this idea that we recognize that, there, that this world is broken, that there are things that are wrong. And so the way that we, God shapes our passions is, is to help bring some healing, to bring some restoration, to, fix, to help fix some of those broken things in the world, whether they're physical, relational, uh, emotional, or spiritual. It's working to fight injustice and inequality. There's an author by the name of uh, Bill Hybels, which some of you guys might be familiar with. He's a pastor of a, of a big church in Chicago. And he wrote this book called Holy Discontent, which is a, a pretty good read if this topic interests you. And what he does is he, is he, he, he talks about this, this uh, restoring God's image aspect. He calls it our holy discontent. And he says that it's, it's kind of like the cartoon character Popeye. How many of you guys remember uh, Popeye? Okay, so I haven't watched that show in a long time. I feel like after reading some this week, I'm like, I'm going to watch Popeye again. Uh, but, but anyway, Popeye is this uh, sailor guy, really unique, unique accent, kind of pretty, pretty interesting personality. Uh, and he was pretty mild-mannered until his girlfriend, whose name was Olive Oil, right, found herself in a troubling situation, right? She, she, got, she found herself in trouble. And when that moment happened, in that moment then, we would see Popeye's uh, passion emerge. And there was this phrase that Popeye would often use, that he would often say whenever he, he found himself in this situation, he'd be and his heart began to get stirred, he began to get passionate. He said something along the lines of, that's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. Right? You remember? That's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. And then he would chug a huge can of what? 
spinach, right? He'd down a whole can of spinach. His forearms would grow, right? He'd come to the rescue and he'd save, uh, save olive oil from, uh, what's, what's the guy's name? Brutus, right, right. So he would rescue his girl. So what Bill Heibel says is, again, Popeye's not the point of this story. Uh, <laughs> well, we should go watch Popeye, yeah. So what, but what Bill Heibel says is this restoring God's image, this holy discontent, is what happens when we get to the point where we see something in the, in the world that, that God stirs our heart for, where we get to the point where we're like, I can't stand it no more. I can't stand that that happens. And so God stirs our hearts and gives us a passion in a way that aligns, uh, aligns with his so that we can do something, so that we can restore his image in some way in the world that, that's around us. So, Passions fall into these different categories. A lot of us have experienced at some point in our life um, feeling like God's stirring something within us. But a lot of times, uh, it's, it's not the easiest thing to figure out. What is it? What is that passion? What are those passions that God's uh, stirring within me? There have been times in my life where I could tell you right away, I know this is what the passion is that God's stirring in me. But there's other times where it's been more of a journey of discovery, of figuring that out, of trying to to discern that. And so I want to ask, Pastor Sean's going to come up and just walk us through a, a brief tool of a way, if you're in that spot where you're like, I want to figure this out, I want to discover what my passions might be, I'm not sure what they are, uh, this tool can help you do that. You remember Popeye, you're really, you're really old. I don't know who that guy is. Um, this morning, um, I just want to, you probably got this in your email this week, if you attend, we have your email. How many of you got an email from me this week? Yes, yeah, some of you have me marked as junk. I'm only mildly offended that I go right to your junk mail basket. If, we di- if you didn't get this, we're actually going to send something out like this each week so you can come a little prepared. Just give us your email address and your response card, and we'd love to add you to that list. It's in your program guide today, too. So we want to make sure you didn't miss it, this little yellow sheet. And, uh, you know, having a passion is important. We're all passionate about different things. Like, I'm passionate about skiing. I'm even more passionate about ice cream. Ice cream in my house is very, very important to have multiple flavors, to treat it really well. When my son squash it in the freezer, they get in a lot of trouble for me because I'm passionate about ice cream. But all that doesn't line up with God's heart. What God lines up with God's heart for me, the emotional magnet, the thing that I'm like, I have to do this. I, I, I have this inner oughtness. I told you I'd use that. This inner it ought to be thing, and that's just this. I love when God's best comes out of God's people, when his family can impact the world because they know that God's designed them with this thing to change the world with, and every one of you has it. And so this assessment helps you unravel that mystery. And so I just want to give you a couple pointers, some ways for you to do, like maybe this week, during some time with God, some time alone, some just in the morning, to use this to help you unravel that, to say, God, how'd you design me? Um, On number five, on the front, has some instructions. That's really important. It's not when you think about what your passion is, what God designed you for, how you're needed. It's important not to go, oh, how do I do this? Or can I do this? It's really just important to say, what is it that God stirred in me that I want to name? So this is about putting a name on it so you can go, yeah, I ought to be involved, and then God can help me figure that out. So please approach it like that. Now, on the inside, you will see some questions, um, some different groups, people, and issues that you can circle. 
and go, what, what is it that I really care about? Some indicators for you. Now, if you're a very linear thinker, I just want to let you know, these questions are not in any particular order that are going to lead you to more answers, okay? So if you were like hoping to answer one, that's going to help you answer number two or lead you on this path. It's not like that. It's more like you're walking around your, the house of your heart and you're opening windows and you're peeking in and going, What's it look like in that room? When I look at it from that angle, when I look at it from the other angle, what's it look like? You're trying to get a picture of what's going on inside of you, the things that God's stirring by answering some of these questions. So I want to encourage you to take some time to do that. And then on the last, the last couple slides here, you'll see one that has like lists meaningful experiences and why was that meaningful to me. Often our passions are born out of important experiences in our life, things that stirred up that maybe cause us some pain or cause us great joy. And out of that... We have a passion. So I encourage you, take some time. Think about that. This is going to be a great exercise to just walk through with God and say, what is it that I really, what was really meaningful to me in your life? It will really help you on that journey. And discovering why will give you a clearer picture of it. So I encourage you to do that. And then on the back, if you turn to the last side of this, you will see a list, and it says ministry essence statements at the top. These are all the different ministries of Daybreak, um, at least all the different departments of Daybreak with lots of ministries underneath them. But these are the statements that capture the hearts of those ministries, things that they say, there's one thing we want to be about. This is it. And it lines up with God's heart. So it might even help you to read those or as you're discovering a theme, say, this is what I want to be about too. And maybe I should explore how I can be involved in being about that same thing right here in Daybreak to impact the world. So take some time this week. Really let that stir up in you and discover what God's heart is for you. Thank you, Sean. In your outline there, there's a quote from uh, the Holy Discontent book. It says this. It says, I assure you there is a holy discontent with your name on it. There is something out there that God is waiting for you to grab onto so that he can use you to help solve it. It wrecks you, it wrecks him, and he is ready for you both to do something about it. And that leads well into the, our, the second point in our outline, which is this, is I discover how I'm uniquely needed as number two. I act with the recognition that God is with me. I act with the recognition that God is with me. So God stirs our hearts, right? We experience some of these things right here. God stirs our hearts in, a ways, in ways that align with His. But He doesn't simply want aligned hearts, God doesn't simply want aligned hearts. He's way more practical than that. He stirs our hearts because he wants us to do something, right? He planned something, good things for us to do long ago. He wants us to act, but he doesn't want us to act on our own. He's not asking us to go out there as lone rangers and act on our own. He wants us to act in the recognition that he is with us. Let's look at Jeremiah's story again, just the next couple verses. Uh, It says this, O sovereign Lord Uh, Jeremiah said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. So this is right after, again, God had told him that I want you to be a a prophet to these people. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. So God had stirred Jeremiah's heart. He had put this calling on his life. that he, he, he told him what it is that he had created him to be, what those good things were. And Jeremiah's like, yeah, nope. <laughs> right? No, you know what? No thanks, God. I, I know that's something that you want me to do. I can kind of sense that you're stirring some of this. There's probably some of this uncomfortable, this uncertainty. 
uh, that, uh, conflicted, this type of stuff. He's like, you know what, God, no. And then he, he comes up with an excuse, right? He, just, he comes up with an excuse. God, I, I'm just too young, God. You can't possibly want that. But God says to him what? He says, wrong-o, right? Buzzer sound, right? Nope, wrong. Don't say you're too young. You're not too young. Besides, this isn't really about you anyway, he says. He says, this is about me. I am going to be with you. This is about what I wanted, what I created you to do and what I, what I want to do through you. He says, I will be with you. I will protect you. And what did Jeremiah do? Well, we know from the other 50 plus chapters in the book that he followed through on what God had called him to do. He stepped out of his comfort zone and followed God. He said, okay, God, even though I have some doubts, even though I have some fears about this thing that you've, that you've been doing in me, this stirring, this calling that you've given me, I will choose to follow you. One of the things that we see over and over again in Scripture is that when God calls someone to action, when he calls them to do something, one of the most common things they experience is fear and uncertainty. Those are like two of the top things that they they start to experience. Whether it's Jeremiah becoming a prophet, whether it's Moses getting ready to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, whether it's Joshua getting ready to lead them into the promised land, whether it's Mary getting ready to give birth to our Savior, whether it's the disciples being sent out by Jesus, whether it's the Apostle Paul on any of a number of his journeys, fear and uncertainty were part of the story. They were part of the initial feeling of what people sensed when God began to stir their heart to align with his. When he started to call them to action, fear and insecurity, uh, fear and, uh, and uncertainty were part of that story. But they were overcome. They were able to overcome them because they were willing to allow their trust in God to carry more power than their fear and uncertainty. And, that's, and it's a huge challenge for us today too, right? Like that's a huge challenge for you and I today. When we let them, fear and uncertainty carry an incredible amount of power in our lives. An incredible amount of power. They have the power to neutralize our passions, keeping us uh, from putting into action the unique ways that God has, has crafted us and the, and, the, and the good things that God has planned for us to do. When fear and uncertainty rule us, we respond like Jeremiah did with excuses, with reasons why it's not a good idea, why, well, that'll never work, or uh, why that's just too dangerous, or why that, that whatever God, God must be mistaken when he asked me to do that or asked us to do that. Uh, the things that, that God is developing in us, when, when we give into the fear and, and uh, uncertainty, we start to think, oh, it's just a bad idea, it's an irresponsible idea, or it's just too dangerous. Surely God's not calling us to that. But following God's call, obeying God's voice, always putting, putting the passion, the things that he's stirring in us, putting those things into action, always requires an element of risk. There's always an element of risk involved. Uh, there's a book called Chasing Daylight uh, by a, a guy named Erwin McManus that I, I, highly, I highly recommend this book. But he says this, I just want to read to you part of what he, what he says here. He says, I lament that it has become an accepted part of popular theology that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. I'm not saying that this statement is ill-intended, but it is misdirected and misinformed. I have often thought about the motivation behind this statement. Maybe it was a concerned father or mother trying to comfort a small child. After all, when our children are afraid of the dark, don't we all try to comfort them with a sense of safety? Or maybe it was concerned parents watching their teenager run off to college, a sort of subtle warning. Get out of God's will, and you'll be in big trouble. Whatever the motivation, the result has brought more damage than good. If the safest place to be in this is in the center of God's will, then an appropriate measure of God's will 
is to ask the question, is it safe? The inversion of this framework has clearly affected our faith. We have concluded that God promises safety. Our popular theology has eliminated the place for risk and insulated us with a comfort and security theology. This view runs counter to what is found in the scriptures. I want to reiterate the fact that the center of God's will is not a safe place, but the most dangerous place in the world. God fears nothing and no one. God moves with intentionality and power. To live outside God's will puts us in danger, but to live in his will makes us dangerous. When we begin to seize our divine moments, we do not begin to live free of risk, but instead we become free to risk. I love, I love what he says there because fear and uncertainty are common, so common when we choose to follow God because he consistently takes us out of our comfort zones. He invites us to step out in faith and continually stretches us to new levels of trust in him. A life of following Jesus by pursuing these God-given passions, by pursuing the, the, the way that God has stirred our hearts to align with his, and then when we put those things into action, it requires a constant increase of our trust in God. But like God says to Jeremiah, he says to us, look, you don't need to be afraid because I will be with you. He will not necessarily lead us to places that are safe and comfortable, but he says, I will be with you. One of, the, one of the times when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said this, these verses are there in your outline. He says, if you love me, then keep my commands. Basically, if you love me, then I want you to, you'll obey my voice. You'll do what it is that I'm calling you to do. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. God's Holy Spirit is with us and in us. If, 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 if uh, we are followers of Jesus, if, we, if we've asked him to be our forgiver and, and our leader, God says that he's given us his Holy Spirit to live in us and that he is with us. When we experience fear and uncertainty, uncertainty about what it is that God calls us to do, we can still respond with obedience because we know that God's Holy Spirit is with us. Like Jeremiah, like the disciples, we're invited into the uncertainty. We're invited into that that fear, recognizing that risk is simply part of what it means to follow God. And God says to us, in the midst of that, that risk, in the midst of that fear, you don't need to be afraid because I am going to be with you. We have a, a story on, on, uh, uh, by a girl named Laura who's, who's going to share a little bit of her story, the way that God's been, been shaping and changing uh, her passions, both to align them with, with his, but then also to put them in, in action uh, in a way that, that she relies on him uh, in, in many different ways. So I want to encourage you to check out the screen. Laura, today we're talking a little bit about uh, how we're uniquely needed, how God puts a passion in our heart to care about things that the world needs, that he loves. And uh, your story uh, tells that story really well in how you started as an English major in college mm -hmm. and didn't realize as an English major that getting a job wasn't going to be so easy, graduating as an English major, and then how you went with, to live with your, some roommates, and they all got jobs, you're still stuck with a job not in your major, and starting to wonder, like, what do I do now? Tell us a little bit about, like, what you experienced, some of the frustration, some of the, like, what did you do about that? Oh, sure. Well, it was a job that I loved. I was in, I was a server, I was in customer service, working with people, staying busy, and I loved it. But after about a year and a half, 
I started to get really frustrated because you just kind of stop and you look and you say, you know, yeah, this is fun, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not really accomplishing anything. I was 23 at the time. I had no ties. I had beyond my job and, you know, rent and whatnot. I had no real responsibilities and I really felt like I could be doing more. And so I was really, really frustrated. Well, I had no problems taking that frustration to God uh, during my quiet time. And, you know, it seemed like shortly after I started airing these frustrations, he said, okay, well then go. But I started laughing because I'm like, really, you know, going to me at that point meant being a nurse, being a doctor, building something overseas. You know, what am I equipped to do as someone with an English degree? And being so young at the time, I just had, I I thought it was kind of ridiculous. I was like, I I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. So, you know, I kept praying about that. I kept saying, okay, well, what can I do? And really quickly after that, it must have been the next Sunday at church, I was sitting there and I was reading over the bulletin right before service started. And there it was at the bottom of the page. It was an ad that said, you know, uh, English teachers needed in Japan for three, three months to one year. And it was one of those, you know, smack your forehead (laughs) kind of moments. And you can feel God laughing and saying, really, you're not equipped for anything. Yeah. And so that that started it. Wow. So when you, you went on this trip, and uh, say a little bit about how you talk a little bit about how you you ate different foods, you had all these different experiences, you worked with lots of different people, and in those experiences, something happened in you where you began to appreciate, um, began to understand a little bit more about what you really loved in life. Like, it wasn't just English; there was something else that God wanted you to care about very deeply. Tell us a little bit about how did that get shaped, and what is that thing that you care so deeply about? Absolutely. So when I got over there, um, I went for six months and that's considered short term. Um, but when you're in your, you go as a short term missionary, you're kind of treated as an intern sometimes. So you get thrown into a bunch of different things, which for me was perfectly fine. I was just excited to be there and to be doing something. Um, but that meant I was helping out in the mission office, doing paperwork, filing. Um, I was working kind of just with different data there. I was working with a high school group of kids uh, that they had. And then, of course, I was teaching English. Um, and another piece that um, that I did each week was I went into a church. They had me stationed, I guess you want to call it, at a church every Sunday. And this particular church was really small. It was about you know, 12 to 15 people. But what was really neat was there was a Korean pastor. There was a Brazilian couple, a Chinese couple. There was me from America and then the, the Japanese who were there. And so there were there was a whole world of cultures represented in this little church. And in the time that I got to spend with them and in the time I got to spend, you know, with the missionaries and the international workers, the time I got to spend with, you know, the Japanese people that I taught and the time that I got to spend with the high schoolers, you know, God just started opening up all these different um, pieces of his personality that I could see in each of these people. And it was really neat to see who they were and who he made them to be and how he expressed his personality in each one of them. Wow. And now you've joined the Global Ministries team mm-hmm. uh, because I'm sure uh, going on trips, helping other people go on trips, there's a big tie-in to this love for seeing, both seeing what God, how God's created people differently and also helping them understand, helping everyone understand that God's image is in every person and that they just need to like, connect with their creator to really appreciate it, which is really cool. But I'm sure as people are watching this and thinking about it, they're like, well, if I go on a missions trip 
and stretch myself, experience all these things, which is a huge part of your story, do I come back and be on the missions team? Or how does this translate to your world that you live in every day when you're not doing global missions here at Daybreak? Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, God's pulled this passion from the experiences that I had for global ministries to participate in global ministries. But, you know, what I was talking about as far as seeing those different pieces of his personality um, in each person um, that I meet, that completely translates to what I do now. I'm back in the customer service industry for my, my career and, you know, getting to work with customers, getting to work with a team of my associates, you know, I can see how he's, how he's designing each person differently and, and the pieces of himself that he's ingrained in each person, you know, whether, you know, they're fresh out of college, whether they're from California, whether they're from Indiana, you know, or whether it's somebody that I see every day. It's really cool. Thank you for sharing a little bit about how God's helping you understand and know this, how you're uniquely needed and the passions that he's put in your heart that he wants the gospel and the message of his kingdom to come out through you in your regular life. appreciate hearing Laura just share a little bit of her story. And again, that's just one story, one example of someone who felt God stirring something in their heart, wasn't sure what he wanted to do in them, but she, she started to feel some of these things, and then she decided, okay, I, God's calling me towards this, I'm going to step out. And then he started to, to do some things in her life that not only affected her, uh, while she was on this, this trip in, in Japan, but then also has transformed her uh, and changed the way that she lives now. Um, I, I want to uh, invite Mel, you can come on up. Uh, it's my wife, Mel. She's also the Global Ministries Director at Daybreak, and she uh, is going to talk to you a little bit about um, short-term trips, uh, like uh, what uh, Laura experienced. Uh, give you a little bit of in, input about that real quick. Hi. Real quick. Okay. <laughs> he knows. I can be long-winded. <laughs> well, hi, everyone. My name is Mel, and I am the director of Global Ministries. And when I was 16 years old, I went on my very first short-term trip. I had no idea that it was going to be on that trip that God began to plant a seed to develop my passion uh, for what he does around the world, for getting to know other cultures and other people and getting to know him through those other cultures and other people. But then he has grown my passion to not just being able to experience that myself, but then also being able to help lead the charge uh, here in our Daybreak family. And I've gotten to experience so many trips with so many of you and the life change that has happened in so many of us um, as we serve together as the body of Christ, joining God in what he's already doing in these other cultures is just like, ah. So... We are getting ready to go back for another season of trips, and inside your program guide today is an insert. It's a little postcard size insert. I'd like to have you go ahead and pull out, and you'll see on the front side, um, there are four different trips that we're going to be taking this year. One of them is specifically for high school students, and the other three are for adults, um, and you can see where we're headed, and I do want you guys to know that the places where we're going this year, we have gotten invitations from our global partners in these areas asking us to please come and bring your church family. We love you guys, and we want you to be a part of what, we're, what God's doing here. And so this isn't just random locations that we've kind of pulled out of a hat. Um, these are long-term partners that we're excited to return and go back and join in these different ministries. So you can see where we're going, what we're going to be doing. Um, but I especially just want to invite you guys out, um, because we don't have the time today to go 
through all the details of all those trips and give you all the info on everything. Um, we're going to be hosting two interest meetings. And you'll see, I think, at the bottom of your handout there, yep, today at 2 o'clock over at the other campus at uh, Gettysburg Pike, uh, me and my partner, our director of our short-term trips, will be there to answer all your questions about all three of the adult trips. And then next Sunday at 2 o'clock right here in this room. So if you're not able to make it out today to the other campus, come back at 2 o'clock next Sunday, and you're going to get to hear who the trip leaders are. Um, you're going to get to ask questions about exactly what we're going to be doing when we're there and all kinds of stuff. And I would really encourage you guys to consider coming. I want you to know that this year, I don't know why fully, but this year God is just stirring a lot in global ministries and through these specific trips. And our international workers have said, we need you guys this year. And there's something really exciting happening with these trips. And so if you've never been on a trip but have considered it or you sense God maybe nudging a little bit of that in you today, this is a great, great year <laughs> to go. Um, God's doing some great stuff. We'd love to have you on one of our trips. So thank you. Thank you. Was that good? That was okay. perfect. Okay. Um, yeah, and I want to encourage you. Some of you may know right away, yes, I, I need to go check these things out. Um, but for, for a lot of us, it may be something where initially when you look at it, you're just immediately think of all the reasons why, why not. And um, it's not difficult to come up with reasons why not. Because it's expensive, it's going to take vacation time, you have to spend 10, 15 days with the same people, you've got to travel to another culture, uh, all, a whole bunch of different things. But I want to encourage you not to rule yourself out before you talk to God about it. Don't rule yourself out be, before you talk to God about it. I've had several opportunities, and on, on trips like these, God transforms you. He transforms you. He does incredible, incredible things uh, within you. He broadens your perspective as to who he is. And maybe this year is a year that, you, that he may be calling you to. So I just want to ask you to, to please pray about it. Ask God if this could be your year uh, to do that. So as we wrap up our discussion this morning, I want to encourage you with this truth. <laughs> with this truth is that risk, risk goes hand in hand with following Jesus. Always. There's no way around it. When we look at Scripture, we see over and over again that people who lived life in obedience to God, people that made the decision to follow Jesus, lived lives that were full of risk, that required an increased trust that God was with them. God stirred their hearts and aligned them with His, and then they acted with the promise and the recognition that He was going to be with them. So no matter who you are, no matter where, where you are in your journey, I want to encourage you that God has crafted specific things in you and has designed you to do good things. There are good things he's created for just you to do. He wants to stir your heart to align with his. He wants to do some of this in you and then he wants, you to, he wants to lead you to act recognizing that he is with you. So I want to encourage you, don't ignore the unique contribution that God has called you to make. Don't ignore the ways he's stirring your heart. Don't ignore the action he's calling you to take and don't be surprised if Whatever he's, calling to you, whatever he's calling you to is a little bit unsafe. It's a little bit dangerous. It requires risk. It feels uncomfortable. And it's a step outside of your comfort zone. Following him will lead each of us to the place where we say, God, I can't do this without you. And God says, exactly. Exactly. I never created you to do what I created you to do without me. Let me pray. God, thank you that you are passionate. I thank you that you are passionate and that part of the image of you that we bear is passion. God, I thank you that you 
have, have stirred our hearts, that you um, designed good things for us to do long before we were born. And God, I want to pray for each person in this room today. Uh, we all come from different places. We've all been on different journeys, had different perspectives on things. Um, God, I pray that you would help us to take our next step in this discovery process of what, of what um, our passions are. God, for, for those of us who aren't sure what they are, God, I pray that you would help us to discover them, that we would trust you and go on a journey of discovery. For those of us uh, who have discovered them, I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment to, to figure out um, which of those things align with what you want for us. And then, God, for those of us who have discovered those and we know they align with your heart, I pray that you would give us the courage to risk. You would give us the courage to face the fear and uncertainty, to act with the recognition that you're with us. Thank you, God, that you walk beside us. We love you in Jesus' name.